Witness insurmountable deficits turn into unforgettable victories at the Travelers Championship, the Northeast's one and only PGA Tour signature event. See Scotty Scheffler, Rory McIlroy, Victor Hovland, Max Homa, Patrick Cantlay, returning champion Keegan Bradley, and other PGA Tour stars in all four days of competition at TPC River Highlands. The excitement tees off June 19th through 23rd. For tickets and information, visit TravelersChampionship.com. The Travelers Championship. There is only one. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey everyone, Pat Mayo here, going to jump into some U.S. Open research. You hit the time codes, you can find out where I jump into FantasyNational.com and go through the research, the modeling, the different conditions. Uh, and if you use FantasyNational.com slash Mayo, you get yourself a discount. Definitely do that. Become a member at FantasyNational.com because golf ain't stopping anytime soon. Just because it's not a major doesn't mean there's not giant prize pools out there for you to do research on. But I'm going to have Justin Ray from the 15th Club coming up first. His audio is kind of wonky. We're trying to fix it up, so bear with me through that one. It's going to sound as good as we can make it sound. But he has really good information, so I still want to leave it in at the same time. And if you want to play in the Pat Mayo Experience Open DraftKings Listeners League, hit the description of this video and podcast and you can find the link there's only 4,000 spots because with football going on they they want to make it a bit easy here 4,000 spots those are gonna go fucking quickly i'm just telling you right now so go reserve your spot right away even if you're watching this before the DraftKings pricing has actually come out just go put in your three entries 15 dollars a piece no rake in this tournament it's gonna be the best one on DraftKings and easier to win this week because it still has a flat flat payout structure there's only gonna be 4,000 people in it i think there's only gonna be 4,000 people in it I actually haven't been given the link yet. So if you are watching this and the link is not there, that means I haven't got it yet. But I will update it the moment that I get it. So keep checking back. More views for me, too. More downloads. And I like to like to smash the like button. We're out there. Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2020 U.S. Open. First look in research later on in the show. I'm going to be jumping in and screen sharing with you how I'm doing my research on FantasyNational.com, looking at past U.S. Opens, recent form, and putting together a model to maybe, potentially, see if we can predict who's going to win this U.S. Open. I tell you who's not going to win. It's going to be Brooks Kepka. He withdrew, so I got that one right after he withdrew so you know i was actually going to consider taking him to win because that's just the sucker that i am oh he's hurt it's gonna be fine he's just down he's sandbagging us here before the u.s open turns out he's actually too hurt he cannot play later on on the weekend i will have my u.s open DraftKings picks and preview with ben and rick and then on monday myself and jeff feinberg will be going through the betting show the live chat will be at noon eastern time on wednesday so full major golf content all in the midst of football season remember to subscribe to mayo media network on youtube we're trying to get over 10,000 subs by the end of this week your help with that if you haven't done it already goes a long way just like liking the episode and in the comment section you give me your winner for the 2020 
U.S. Open. If you're listening to the audio version, please rate, review, and subscribe. And check out FantasyNational.com to get a discount. Go to FantasyNational.com slash Mayo. But before we get to all of that, I am joined by a guest to break down Wingfoot. It's Justin Ray from the 15th Club, a man who deserves a vacation. What's going on? <laughs> Thanks for that. Uh, coming soon, hopefully, but I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, one thing I really want to dig in with you here as it pertains to Wingfoot is the style of player that we're going to be looking at. So I'm going to take what you say to me and what I've come up with so far and then try to integrate that into the stats and hopefully get a decent projection. At least for Harding Park, it worked out pretty well, although the rough did not play as tricky as maybe some of us thought it was. What do you make of Wingfoot right away? Like From what I'm seeing from the official scorecard, it's going to be 7,469 yards par 70 and on Poa Greens uh, in upstate new york but when i think about poa greens like if you just search u.s open you'll see last year pebble beach poa greens i don't think that those poa greens are very similar i would say that it's probably more like beth page or what we saw at the u.s open at shinnecock like the east coast kind of cold weather poa not so much the west coast coastal poa one's a bit bumpier one's just super firm and super fast um you know the first thing that i think about when you say wingfoot is just quintessential u.s open venue right i mean any any golf course that has the word massacre tied to a U.S. Open in it, like they did 1974, uh, seven over par, one at Wingfoot. Um, any, all the memories you have at Wingfoot are, you know, really difficult, rough, the week that Phil you know, hit it off a beer tent on the 72nd hole. And you just think of the quintessential U.S. Open difficulty grinding to make par. I think you're going to see more of that. Uh, other, you know, the last few years of the U.S. Open, we had Aaron Hills, which is a Total aberration in terms of U.S. Open scoring history. Um, Shinnecock looked more normal. Pebble Beach, um, the scores got pretty low um, as they, they tend to do anytime you're pedaling. There's not a lot of wind like we had. Um, so I think we're going to get tougher scoring conditions there. Um, in 2006, when Jeff Ogilvy won, that's actually the last major championship that anyone's won without shooting around under par. Hasn't happened since then. So that gives you kind of an idea of what the difficulty level is going to be. Um, every you know you look through the statistics from the 06 U.S. Open and just the superlatives jump off the chart over and over again. Um, there was less than 1.8 birdies per round that week by the field. No major has had fewer since, um, so that gives you kind of the idea. Um, in terms of like course comparison, I know you talked about some of the the differences in the Poa Greens and stuff. You know, I tend to think of some of the more classic U.S. Open layouts we've had in recent years, like Marion in 2013. Oakmont in 2016, I think that's kind of the type of golf you're going to see where you're going to have a lot of long iron shots. It's going to be really demanding if you miss the fairway. Um, and look, the early reports are, whether it was the NBC crew on, on some of their media um, this week talking about how difficult the course was, John Rahm said to be shocked under par. Uh, anyone shot under par for the tournament? You know, that's a guy that won on a really difficult setup at Olympia Fields a couple weeks ago for the NW Championship. So that's kind of what I'm thinking going into it. And you know, I know we don't, we don't, we haven't had a tournament there in 14 years, you know, it's, so it's tough to derive uh, a ton of insights from that, but that's kind of, that's kind of what I'm leaning in towards is more of the classic U.S. Open setup and the players who've had success on them. So I would think that if you're looking for not necessarily a recent form, but the types of players that could end up doing really, really well here are, you kind of mentioned it, guys that hit exclusively fairways and are really good with their long irons. The problem is those guys are few and far between. You're either going to get your really short type of hitters like the Brennan Todds, but there are better wedge players like the Ryan Moores of the world. Like there are very few Henrik Stenson and Colin Morikawa's out there who don't have the prodigious length off the tee, but hit 
every fairway and crush it from 200 yards out. They're the best players in the world. Well, vintage Stenson was. Now it's Colin Morikawa, Stenson 2.0, uh, who is just a lot better uh, as it looks. Maybe he'll end up getting there and get that length someday. But the way that he plays right now, fairways, long irons, boom, make some birdies. Uh, so I thought yeah. that Harding Park was going to play that way, but – there were certain circumstances, if you miss it on the wrong side, that if you got in the rough, you know, it could cause real problems. But it was kind of a bomb and gouge course when you just go look at who ended up at the top of the leaderboard. Like, they weren't hitting every single fairway. Morikawa did. But other than that, you know, hit around 50% and you're good to go. That's just not going to be the case here. I remember following Shot Tracker at the BMW Championship at Olympia Fields. I thought that was just going to play really easy because it was the BMW Championship and they'd have the easiest setup in the world. Now, I don't want to reveal my sources, but I have some inside sources who are on location at Wingfoot right now showing me pictures of the rough. And you might have lost balls in this rough. It is so long if you venture just an inch, a millimeter off the fairway. So that's going to be highly problematic. Would you think that the bomb and gouge route is still the way to go, though? Because even if we consider something like Oakmont, yes, Furick and Lowry end up coming in second, but it's still DJ who ends up coming in first. Like, do you think that length over accuracy is still going to be the determining factor? Necessarily think, like, I don't think you can just hit the bejesus out of it like Bryson and not really know where it goes 340 yards down the fairway. I don't think that's going to be a winning overall strategy this week. I mean, that it's just the USGA has a, they're a different animal when it comes to setting things up. By the way, you're lying about the rough. I mean, that's music to Mike Davis's ears. I mean, that's that's what they're they that's what they want. They want a proper test of driving acumen. It's not just you know it's not the Rocket Mortgage Classic or whatever where you just can hit it down and just flip a wedge into every hole. These are going to be demanding shots, and if you've got to hit mid to long iron into a green, you know your score is going to reflect that. It's going to be it's going to be difficult out of the rough. So I think the first thing I want to do when I look at players in in a U.S. Open like this, I try to cross off guys first before I start looking at guys I really like. So. Anybody who has been really wild over the last six to 12 months off the tee, I just automatically kind of say, not going to be a week. Like Mark Leishman's got really bad driving accuracy numbers. I'm probably, he obviously didn't play great during the playoff season, but like that's the kind of player where, you know, he won earlier this year at Torrey Pines, of course, where you don't have to hit it into any fairway to have success. Um, he's a really wild player. He's really hurt when it's tough off the tee. You saw that at the BMW Championship. Phil would be an amazing story, obviously, but he's too wild to, to succeed on the U.S. Open setup. I think he's in his career. Um, it would be obviously great to, to see it, but I just don't see that happening. A guy like Patrick Reed has really been has got some pretty wild numbers off the team. I kind of knock some of those guys off the list before I start, you know, picking the guys who I think are really, you know, balanced elite drivers of the golf ball. Which is, I think, I feel like that's where we always start, right? Whenever we try to pick players because of, of course fit. It's kind of their profile, how they hit it off the tee. I don't know. That's kind of where I start. I don't know where you where you land in that camp when you start looking at guys. Just because this course is so long, the distance, if you can just control it a little bit. Like, the players that I'm sort of gravitating towards, like, I would just go back and look at Harding Park to see some of the guys that got away with it there. Someone like Scotty Scheffler. Like, it felt especially if the course is going to play over par. Like, let's say plus three, plus four, plus five, plus six. Like, that's in range to actually win this. At the PGA Championship, obviously that didn't work. You had to, you know, best Colin Morikawa was 13 under par. He went out and made some birdies. But Scotty Scheffler yeah. was never putting for bogey, ever. It was either putting for, like it was two putts for par or just trying to make a long birdie putt. That was his entire game. A lot like the G DJ strategy was at, wing, at, uh, 
Harding Park as well. I think that type of player is kind of what you want. Like the guys with the distance that can dial it back a little bit and just give themselves really easy pars. I mean, there is no easy par at a U.S. Open, but they're all good pars. Yeah. Um, one guy who I'm really wary of who's kind of a trendy pick because of some off-course things recently, Rory McIlroy has never won a tournament as a professional at a score higher than 12 on the bar. Every one of his wins around the world has been – I wouldn't call it a birdie fest, but you've been able to, it's been get every single golf course he's won at. This score has been 12 under or better. I, I don't feel great about Rory this week. His iron numbers since the return to golf or you know, since the pandemic was lifted at Colonial, um, they just haven't been characteristically shown over the years. So I'm not really high on him. I'm wondering, I, I mean, that I just don't, I just don't see it this week, this uh, US Open. Uh, if it ends up playing like Oakmont did when DJ won, like there is a lean where like after DJ that year, it was like Jim Furyk, Shane Lowry, like I mentioned, Scott Piercy, Sergio, Brennan Grace, Kevin Na, Zach Johnson, Jason Duffner, Streelman was up there. Uh, Adam Scott was up Not there. Not saying a lot of guys who were long. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's all guys that just guys that hit a bunch of fairways. Like it, it's kind of yeah. shocking to see those names. That's that's interesting. Yeah, no, that that was a unique week, and it kind of speaks it speaks to the advantage that DJ had because he was able to still hit it with his power and you know get it into the fairway, and that gave him a lot of really good scoring opportunities. Yeah, so the, like the guys that would you know over the past fifty rounds at least uh, who are hitting the most fairways that are in the U.S. Open field, you have like Furyk, Todd Moore, Reavy. Corey Connors, Colin Morikawa. The problem I would have with someone like Connors, and maybe it wouldn't make a difference if he's hitting a ton of greens in regulation, is that if he doesn't hit the green in regulation, it has to be like an instant birdie. Like, can you just cross guys off that have no short game? Uh, yeah, I, I would say that there's, I mean, Connors, you, he's one of the more interesting, captivating guys statistically in golf today. I think if he was even an average butter, he probably would win two times a year. Just how great his ball striking. Um, and, and that's a guy where, okay, maybe, maybe probably, probably got to cross him off the beginning of the list just because those short game numbers aren't that great. I would say that like putting and short game numbers are less transferable when you get to these big championships than like ball striking numbers are. So a player's strokes gained approach or strokes gained tee to green in recent months is probably more reflective of what they're going to do moving forward than putting. Um, I look at some of the guys who have been, uh, like, for example, like Xander Shoffley had an amazing putting week at the Tour Championship. I'm not sure how much that's going to transfer into his next start. Whereas, you know, the swing, like Corey Connors, you can you can bank on him in a lot of greens week to week. And just you know, the the drawback there is 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 he going to make a putt in one of the last six months? The answer, though. But um, yeah, yeah. Long winded answer to your question. Um, yeah, there are some guys that I think if you look at their short game numbers, you're probably able to say, yeah probably not going to have enough form to get, get it done this week. If we were looking for like recent comm courses, you mentioned BMW, I mentioned Harding Park. For some of the Euro guys, mm-hmm. uh, would Valderrama, just with the difficulty that that played at like two weeks ago, be something to look at? Like is Martin Keimer back on the radar here? Martin Keimer's really interesting. I mean, he's been so close to breaking through with that win. Uh, the last, I think it's like twice in the last three or four starts where he's been – in the top five, and then he had the he had the tournament in hand basically nine months ago last week at Valderrama. Um, yeah, Valderrama is an interesting comparison. Like traditionally, that's probably the most difficult golf course that's played on the European Tour. I think like four of the top six or seven uh, scores to part of win on the European Tour, like in the last thirty years, have come on that golf course. So 
um, it's a little bit it's a little bit of an aberration on a, on a circuit where you see some really no, low numbers win uh, week in week out, and especially in during the UK swing since uh, they returned to golf after the pandemic uh, break. But um, yeah, I think you could probably draw a little bit from that. Now the field wasn't especially strong in Valderrama, so I don't know how many players would be able to extract from that field last week and, and say that they're going to be you know in the mix moving forward. Harding Kimer had a good first was it first thirty six holes at Harding Park. He was kind of in the mix, played well to start, and then. I think he had an awful Saturday, it was a Friday or Saturday, a really bad day. Um, yeah, I don't know how much you can pull from that, just simply because I think there were only three top 50 players in the world in that field. But um, that is an interesting course comparison in terms of difficulty because it played brutally tough. Yeah, and it's tough because you're going to have some of these European tour players coming over to play basically in America for the first time. A lot of the guys that ended up qualifying are just complete unknowns to the field. So if I'm thinking like DraftKings-wise or top-20-wise, like, how oh, can I sleep in the, the Finnish Flash, whatever that guy's name is, Sammy, whatever his name is. Uh, <laughs> who just Rasmus Hosgard. Yeah. Rasmus Hosgard. Well, Hosgard is 19, great. <laughs> he's great, and he was a lot of fun to watch during that UK swing. He had a victory, I think, before the break, or even before the break, or the end of uh, 2018. And then he played just out. He was the best player in the first three, four weeks of that UK swing. I will say that he's never played on a stage like the U.S. Open before, and the courses were significantly easier to be in that UK swing than, say, Valderrama or the way Wingfield's going to play. So he's a really interesting guy moving forward in the next 18 months, 24 months. But look, I don't know, man. We had uh, we had guys like. Um, Wolf and Hovland and Morikawa. Morikawa won the PGA and what was his third major championship start. Whereas, you know, I'm usually the guy who says, if you're going to pick the winner, you know, look at the numbers and trends and it tells you it takes at least like a dozen starts for a guy to break through his first major win. And this new crop of guys threw that all out the window in San Francisco. So who knows? What, but he's an interesting player. And if, if you're a, if you don't follow the European tour real closely, check out Rasmus Hosgard. He's a teenager. Um, he's really he's tearing up the European tour. He's going to be, Another thorn in the U.S. side, maybe in the Ryder Cup here in a couple of years. Yeah, Sammy Valamaki was the guy that I was thinking of from Finland who just ended up with three. I've read the name. I don't think I've ever said it out loud before, so I didn't want to go out on a limb and do that. <laughs> do that. I just, I, I've heard the, uh, the fine British commentators in the European tour broadcast say it, but I hadn't dared venture into it yet. Uh, last thing before we get you out of here and I start digging into the to the modeling after putting some of this to good use, is U.S. Open history a thing? Like guys that just generally play well at the USGA setups? I, I would, and if I was looking at it, I would actually kind of throw Pebble out the window and Aaron Hills out the window because I don't think that they're going to have a whole lot in common with what we're going to see at Wingfoot. But two years ago, four years ago, you mentioned Marion, just kind of look for different skill sets and even similar type players who just showed up and played well at those really grinded out U.S. Opens. Guy who's the perfect, he's been great in his career so far in the U.S. Open is, is Xander Shoffley. The problem is, like you say, I'll throw out Aaron Hills and Pebble, and those are two of the three he's played in. So I can't really, you know, it's it's tough because he's, I think he's got the second best score to part of Capcat at the U.S. Open since he made his debut. He leads all players in strokes game putting at the U.S. Open the last three years. He, I think, is second in strokes game off of T at the U.S. Open the last three years. Like, I'm written the way he played at Eastlake too. He had the best 72 old score. He effectively won the tournament. It wasn't for the starting strokes. I'm really high on Xander Shoffley going into the U S open this year. Um, that being said, the U S open is tough to look. It's like they play golf courses all over the country. It's different types of golf. Uh, typically you end up just picking, you know, the best players in the world. 
<laughs> so it's 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 tough to get a real great distinction between somebody who's a really good U.S. Open player because then you're like, oh, I'm going to pick Dustin Johnson and John Rahm. And you're like, oh wait, those are the two best players on the planet everywhere. So it's 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 tough to do. I'm not sure if there is a. Uh, I'd say probably not um, to answer your question, but I mean, I, I like that being said, I do like Xander a lot. So stammering to an answer to your question, I'm kind of on the fence. Uh, All right. Justin Ray, 15th club. Uh, what do you guys have coming out for coverage for the year's second major? I guess it would be. <laughs> we're really excited. Uh, we're working directly with USGA this year, um, which is going to be a lot of fun. So we'll have a lot of content coming through. It's got USGA branding on it and through their channels. Um, we'll do our 10 notes to know every day, uh, Thursday through Sunday as well. So check those out um, at Justin Ray Golf at 15th club. Uh, we're really we're excited. We're going to have a lot of really great content uh, coming through for you here for the second major year. Once again, I want to thank Justin Ray from the 15th Club. Apologies for the audio issues. We tried to battle through it and tried to clean it up as best as possible. But hey, sometimes those are the cards you are dealt. Now, what I want to do is take that information and parse it into FantasyNational.com. Go to FantasyNational.com slash Mayo to get yourself a discount because it's not just the U.S. Open. There are golf tournaments every single week and the masters is coming up then all you then all you know is that all the other sports have stopped once again because their seasons are actually over like football and then hey golf is back and it's still the most fun sport to bet on so let's jump right into fantasynational.com i have the screen loaded up right now uh as you can see uh, dustin johnson uh comes out you know he's gonna be the i have it set to odds right now because when i'm doing this the DraftKings pricing isn't quite out as of yet so dustin johnson eight to one these are sorted by betting odds john rom 10 to 1. Rory McElroy, 11. Brooks Kepka has withdrawn, as you know. Justin Thomas, Bryson, Xander, Morikawa, Cantley. Those are your guys 25 to 1 and below to start it off. But realistically, what I want to go look at just to kind of get a sense of everything, just, you know, just overall, last 50 rounds, we can even sort this by last three months to get a better sense of who's been playing well coming outside of the COVID break. Oh, Dustin Johnson, big shocker right there. Uh, so, Johnson, Rom, Xander, Berger, Thomas, Harris English, and Webb Simpson, Bryson, Morikawa, Finau, Reed, and Fitzpatrick all tied for 10th and most strokes gained total uh, since COVID has stopped for the PGA Tour, at least, and they've entered the bubble. So that's who's been playing the best coming out of the break. But the, the biggest thing to really dig into here is just to figure out the past course conditions, see if we can match them up with anything. Uh, you can see that different stuff. Uh, I had mentioned with Justin Ray that I don't think that Pebble Beach is going to play too much of a factor in determining what we've seen over the years shinnecock hills in 2018 absolutely and as you'll see scoring relative to par very difficult poa greens check green firmness i would expect them to be very firm uh this week hitting fairways easy i don't know so much about that it's you're gonna have to hit the fairway uh the the fairways at Oakmont and we can kind of at Oakmont we're a bit easier to hit than the ones at Wingfoot we'll dig into Wingfoot here in a second because we have some historical data loaded in from 2006 how relevant is that going to be well the course hasn't changed all that much the players are better these days but at the same time they should give you a decent gauge of who's hitting fairways who's not and where players actually need to come from on the course uh, the rough is going to be long it's going to be over 7400 yards so I would say that Shinnecock Hills is a very good comp uh, kind of ditto with Oakmont from the information that we have hitting fairways on particular days 
plays were either average or difficult. That's how I see this year playing out a little bit more. Uh, then you have the Poa Greens, difficult, same region. Well, not necessarily the same region of the country, but it's similar type of grass type uh, and similar type of buildup for the USGA. Marion was the other one that Justin Ray had mentioned that uh, Justin Rose won in 2013. You had Phil Mickelson finish up there as well. Uh, again, difficult relative to par average hitting fairways uh it was a very it was a much shorter course so i'd say that length probably plays a little bit more of a factor this time around so if we go to the course breakdown you can see that we've loaded in two different sets of scorecards we have the expected scorecard for the 2020 u.s open because the official one has not been actually released since we've put this out but it kind of meshes up pretty well with what we saw in 2016 so the remaining stats we're going to be looking for is from 2016 u.s open at wingfoot so we have 7477 yards par 70 that's what it's expected to play at this year and as you can see it just gets you out of the gate the hardest and fourth hardest holes are holes one and two uh, and actually it's a tie for first so you have the tie for first with one and the tie for first at 18 uh that you know you sandwich everything in between some of these are somewhat gettable but even just looking at the birdie rate on some of them hole five by far the easiest hole on the course almost a 40 percent birdie rate if you're not making birdie on that short par five you're absolutely fried uh as you can see it's gonna likely play even shorter this time around but they'll mess with the tees like they do round around uh so you know sometimes it's gonna play a little bit harder sometimes it's gonna play a little bit easier and the back nine par five number 12 is like no joke uh 60 percent of the field pars it only 11 percent make birdie more bogeys than birdies uh, it plays over par so that's never great when you're talking about a par five that's why you do expect that the winning score is going to be like plus three or plus four i mean maybe someone has an immaculate four days and shoots three under or something like that when we look at the actual strokes gained uh from shinnecock uh, you can see par four we don't have the actual like strokes gained metrics from the u.s open back then we just didn't have access to those uh they weren't recording them or they kept them proprietary uh, we'll have them this time around because the usga releases those at this point but looking back to wingfoot in 2006 wasn't really a thing back then but par four scoring is really where it came in tread water on all the par threes they're all pretty difficult and we'll get down to the breakdown of the holes here in a second but par fours are where you're going to make your bones and realistically it's this range right here par fours five 450 to 500 yards there are seven of them on the course there's another one that's over 500 yards and i think if we just kind of sort here by the most difficult ones one two three four five six six of those holes all fall in the range and they're the six toughest holes on the course then number eight and number nine as well uh, in terms of difficulty are going to come in that range so that's going to definitely be one of the key stats that we look at when we do the modeling and you can see driving accuracy at this course in 2016 at the average tour event you have 62 percent uh, you're going to hit that. And when we talk about like average, when you go back and look at us opens, that would mean it's around 62% here in 2016, 50%. And if that's going to be the case and guys are going to be playing out of the rough, you might want to lean a bit more accuracy. Like we were talking about when you saw Oakmont and you saw some of those shorter hitters who were good with the long irons, but kept the ball in the short grass. Uh, they're the lean that you're probably going to have to take here. Guys that are going, like, if you can find a bomber that hits around 60, 65% of the fairways, that guy's going to be inside the top five. If I could tell you who that's going to be, I mean, outside of Dustin Johnson, because that's kind of his game, maybe Morikawa. But other than that, uh, you're really going to have to roll the dice on some of these bombers that maybe the rough gets cut down more than it's previously playing right now. Uh, I, they say it's going to be five inches. Right now, I can tell you from pictures I've seen from guys inside the ropes of the course, that's just not the case. Uh, 
Arena regulation percentage just over 50%. Uh, so scrambling is going to be a major factor. But you can see the scrambling rate is around 40%, which is really low. Uh, and if you're going to be stuck in the thick stuff, that just having an immaculate short game is great and everything, but it's not going to be the same conditions as you're used to. So just because you're Patrick Reed around the greens, that could go a long way to helping you get it close to the hole. But you know, if you can get it up and down from eight feet a bunch or from 10 feet, that's really going to be the deciding factor as it normally is at U.S. Opens. So as Justin kind of said, the parsable stats going forward, kind of event to event, no matter where you play, are those ball striking numbers. So whether it's you know length off the tee, whether it's accuracy off the tee or irons, uh, the more greens and regulation you can hit, just the less you're going to have to scramble. And if you don't have to scramble, uh, chances are you're going to make par. And you want to be making as many pars as possible. You miss a green regulation, it's you know it's going to be a bogey sixty percent of the time, a bogey or worse sixty percent of the time. So that is not good whatsoever. And just kind of scroll back up a little bit here, as you can see, almost you know, what is it seven seventy six in terms of birdies and twenty over twenty two hundred in terms of bogeys, just general bogeys. Not a whole bunch of like doubles, not a whole bunch of worse. Uh, it's not a course that's going to chew you up because you make an eleven on a lot of holes. There's not a lot of water uh, or anything too difficult in front of you, but this rough just grabs you and you just start getting death by a thousand paper cuts. It's like five bogeys in a row. I mean, you can come back from that at this course if you start making some pars or squeak out a birdie somewhere, but a three to one bogey to birdie rate. Uh, that's going to be pretty tough. So if we just look at average greens and regulation uh, gained by finishing position uh, at Wingfoot. So if you just look at the top 10, they're gaining over uh, a green and regulation to the field gained, uh, like almost everyone. If you're not hitting greens or regulation, you're absolutely cooked. That's how we saw the cut percentage go. And it's worth noting that this is the most difficult tournament to get a six of six through, uh, barring any, you know, all the chalk hitting that kind of thing, because instead of the top 65 in ties, like we see at a normal PGA event or, or the top 70 in ties, we saw at the PGA championship, the U S open has its own cut line rules, whereas the top 60 in ties make the cut yet the field is full at 156 players so this is going to be like we've seen some pretty low six of six percentages uh since the restart just with some of the chalk missing and some of these courses that are a bit trickier or a bit even easier with the lower cut line and much larger fields than we're used to that we've seen you know two percent six of six percentage through the cut four of six it's been basically under five almost every single week so i would expect it to be in that one one and a half two two and a half range unless every single piece of chalk ends up coming through what else should we look at here? Well, let's look at the tournament history for the U.S. Open. I had talked a little bit about uh, the U.S. Open history and does that parse itself out. Uh, like I said, 2018, 2016 are probably the two that you really want to hammer down on. But if we just look at overall strokes gain total, you see there's a bunch of guys in this field who have just never played the U.S. Open before. But if we go through it, poor Brooks isn't playing. But, you know, first, first, second, good, good track record at the U.S. Open over the years. Just like when you look at Xander, like Justin said, uh, over in his three starts, and this takes the past five years, he's still fourth in total strokes strokes gain that's only with three appearances he's never finished worse than t6 at a u.s open which is just mind-boggling at that point uh tommy fleetwood is someone who's played the u.s open really well over the years uh, you see reed he has the one like spike finish another two top 20s missed a cut in there but like dustin's missed a cut in there too surrounded by a third a first and a t2 so sometimes you just have a bad week and that's going to be the end of you that that happens uh jim furick has been a really good player even at an elevated age brennan grace is someone who's getting his game back together he's someone that we we always think of 
instantly as someone who plays hard courses really well. But even to go back and look at the BMW Championship from a few weeks ago, where that played incredibly difficult. Well, under U.S. Open type conditions, we saw Dustin have a good week. Louis was challenging for a while. Uh, Matsuyama was there till the end. Uh, Adam Scott was there till the back nine on <laughs> on Sunday. Uh, Shane Lowry kind of kicked it a little bit. Paul Casey hung around and ended up like plus five in that range. So good ball strikers, not guys that you would normally consider like, oh, I need to get it up and down and make my 10 foot par putt. These guys just hit a bunch of greens of regulation. Like their putting's not going to be superb. Uh, it never really is. Like guys like Brooks and Dustin, it can be. Guys like Louie, their putting can spike off the charts. Furick is kind of the same way. But relatively speaking, there's a lot of really bad putters uh, who tend to play well at U.S. Opens. Lucas Glover won a U.S. Open, for Christ's sake. So uh, just hitting those greens and regulation, not putting yourself into too much trouble uh, is something to really look at. I'm just trying to find the guys that haven't missed a cut uh, in the past five years. Fitzpatrick and Zach Johnson. That kind of surprised me that Zach Johnson has done so well. And he played well at the two uh, U.S. Opens that we were looking at as corollaries, T12 and T8. Uh, how has Zach Johnson been playing lately? Just to kind of go back and look through it. 49th at the Northern Trust, 7th at the Wyndham, gaining off the tee. His approach is kind of all over the place, but the, the putting had been pretty good. He's not playing as poorly as I thought he had been playing. I, I do worry at, at the elevated age that he just doesn't have the distance to really go at it too much anymore. But if he's going to hit all of the fairways, it could make him a really nice cash play, that kind of thing. Uh, just recent results overall, too, if we take a quick look at it to see who's been playing the best. I bet you it's Dustin Johnson, if I had to wager. In this field, Dustin, Scheffler, Rom, Webb, and Xander. Interesting. Uh, then Berger, Kisner, English, Reed, and Hideki Matsuyama. Well, and I didn't realize Kokrak had been playing so well either. 15th, 13th, and 6th. It's hard to believe a 6th place finish could not get him in to the, uh, the, the, to the Tour Championship, playing that well through the playoffs, but I guess he had such a crap year going forward. Then you have Thomas and Morikawa. I, if Morikawa doesn't have it going early on and he's missing and greens and regulation he's probably screwed because guy cannot chip whatsoever uh, but he really turned around his fortunes at the bmw after a really bad i think he was seven over after the first round ended up coming inside the top 20 so it's worth noting trying to parse out these stats a little bit you see he had the awful northern trust with his irons he had the awful travelers but you know rebounding off the travelers came back and won the workday the next week and he still is one of the best iron players in the world i think this does set up really well for colin morikawa to tell you the god's honest truth he's going to hit a ton of fairways he's going to hit a ton of greens regulation you can see that you know he'll marginally lose strokes putting or he'll gain a bunch like if it's one of the weeks where he gains like three strokes putting he could definitely win this thing like his performance at the PGA Championship is just such a big outlier for him, but you've seen in both of his wins, he's got the flat stick rolling, and the rest of his game came along with it. Like, you're going to need to get that week, and it's encouraging to see some spike performances on the greens from him, because you'll see, like, he went through a really bad run where he wasn't gaining anything on the greens and was just striking the shit out of the ball uh, and just turning out top 20, 21st, 25th. 26 if you're not if you're losing you know 4.9 strokes putting 5.7 strokes putting it's gonna be tough to climb up the leaderboard you can even see at api you know minus 2.4 strokes putting and he gained over 14 in ball striking and that's still only managed ninth place because he still lost those strokes putting so the fact that he's evening this out a little bit uh is really encouraging for me to see i do want to take a quick look actually we'll stick with morikawa here and I want to take a look at the BMW and look at the strokes gain from there. And I want to take a look at the PGA and the strokes gain from there. Mainly what I'm looking at is going to be the ball striking to see from these top end guys, how did they do it? So 
almost everyone gained in driving distance except Morikawa, who lost uh, 2.1 strokes in driving distance gain relative to the field. That's not that much. That's a round average, which is fine, but he gained all of it in terms of fairways. Other than that, like you see, Dustin, Day, and Finau all lost in terms of fairways gained, but, you know, they were below average substantially, but they kind of gained it all back. Of course, they did it with his irons and putting because that's Jason Day. But the rough is going to play significantly more difficult. So I would be looking more at this like Matthew Wolf, Scotty Scheffler type range, the plus distance, knowing that if you hit it into the rough, it's going to be overly problematic, that these are guys that can still maintain their distance and hit fairways. That's going to be so huge. Uh, Joel Damon was another one uh, who just, you know, he had a lot of fairways, not a lot of, you know, not much gained uh, in terms of distance, just slightly above average but he was hitting all of the fairways and he was making every possible putt rom you expect him to be up there burger you expect him to be up there so other guys steal victor perez louis ustazen and hot fire dylan fratelli all guys who are gaining on distance and in fairways uh keith mitchell was another one abraham answer answer seems like he is kind of perfectly geared for us open someone who just really hits a lot of fairways and doesn't lose too much off the tee as it pertains uh to distance let's find some guys who miss miss the cut because i know hatton had a really good week kang gang i played kang that week i was big on kang uh, if he could only putt it would have been a lot better for him Oh, Herminator. Good for him. Herminator goes out and wins the next week after making the cut at the U.S. Open. So did anyone, let's see, Jason Duffner was someone who gained distance and fairways at the PGA Championship. Keegan Bradley was another. Tyrrell Hatton. I like Hatton going into this week. I just think he's playing really well coming in. Tom Lewis, Sung J M. Sung J is actually one of the better players on tour if we go and look at it right now. Um, and we'll just take since the uh, no, I want to go to distance is what I want to go. Fairways and greens. Yeah, that's what I want to look at. So under fairways and greens, we'll find distance and we'll find fairways gain. So if we look at driving distance. Most of these guys are not high up in accuracy. We use fairways gained at fantasynational.com to figure that out. Um, so, I mean, this is a field of 156 guys. So you'll see we have 125 in the system right now for the betting odds. That's going to expand. There's just a lot of guys that don't have odds yet. Once the DraftKings pricing gets out, the full field will actually end up being loaded in, but there's no one that we really care about that we're missing at the moment. Uh, so it's not that big of a deal. And you can see the sample's decent, 38 rounds, 24 rounds. You only have six from someone like Stenson, but you know he's doing his Stenson thing, not driving the ball very far and hitting a bunch of fairways. So who actually hits the ball pretty far and a bunch of fairways? Sungjae is actually one of those guys i don't know if he's super trustworthy at the moment with the way that he's been playing uh another one john rom no big shocker benjamin ebel uh that's only with two rounds of data paul casey uh as we saw someone with prime distance prime accuracy that's someone you like scheffler lucas glover a u.s open winner matthew wolf rates out really highly third in distance and 38th in fairways gain xander rose matthias schwab billy horschel victor hovland Louis Oosthuizen, Chan Kim in his two rounds actually kind of really put it out there. And then you get into the other guys like Bubba's been hitting more fairways recently. Uh, Lowry's just kind of slightly above average at both distance and accuracy. But I think those are the types of players that I would want to be leaning towards this week just because I think they're going to put themselves in less problematic situations like listen Sungjae might miss every green regulation from the middle of the fairway ask anyone who had money on Sungjae at the tour championship because that is exactly what he was doing pulling the irons a bit left trying to overcompensate and going right but at the same time uh, he was still giving himself decent opportunities that if the irons do come back around to where they were pre-covid break he's going to be awesome 
at the U.S. Open. So that I would kind of give my lean more towards fairways gain, but if I can find a decent combination of the two, and there's old Corey Connors, just don't have to chip, pal, and you're all good to go. Uh, same as Morikawa, and that's what Morikawa didn't do at the PGA Championship. He just hit a bunch of greens of regulation and went on his way because he was hitting so many fairways. And I, I actually have more faith that Morikawa and Connors are t- the types of guys that can really dial in their irons, even if they put it 35 feet away from the hole. I don't expect Morikawa to three-putt, where I would with Corey Connors. That's just kind of the difference when it comes down to it. So let's try to build a model here and see what we can do. Load in the old custom model, add new, and we're going to call this one 2020 US Open. And we're just going to get rid of everything. We'll hit save on that. And we'll get rid of all of the stats. And we'll go into it right away. So I want to go with strokes gained off the T just as an overall point of reference. We'll load that in. Um, but I do want to divvy it up a little bit. So I'll give less weighting to strokes gained off the T. Um, so I can put in distance and accuracy. And I'm going to weight accuracy just a little bit more than distance. But strokes gained off the T should make up for that most of the time. So we'll put in fairways gained. Obviously, strokes gained approach is going to be huge, but I'm not going to overweight it to the sense of I'm going to make it like 50% or anything like that because there are proximity ranges. We saw all these long par fours. That means 175. 175 to 200. I'm sorry, that's par three. That is the wrong stat to put in. I want to go to my proximity stats. So proximity, 175 to 200. You're also going to get some par threes in that range as well. And then 200 plus uh, on approaches. Um, and it might be actually be curious to see here before we continue doing everything. That's the PGA Championship. Let's look at the BMW because the BMW par 70, um, I don't know why I just clicked over to Olympia Fields. Let's see where the proximity was coming in. It's another one that had five uh, and then one of... So Wingfoot's going to play a little bit longer, but you can see the driving accuracy was very low there as well. This seems to be a pretty decent comp course from what we just saw. So let's just take a specific look at what just happened at the BMW Championship in terms of fairways gain versus driving distance. Again, you can see these guys at the very top, a ton of distance, but then you have this entire range of shorter hitters that were just hitting, not giving, not putting themselves in a lot of trouble. Um, and that's really kind of going to be the key. Mackenzie Hughes was, you know, big shocker. Mackenzie Hughes couldn't hit a fairway, couldn't outdrive anyone, and just made every 70-fucking-foot putt. But there he is. Came 10th. Sometimes, you know, you get lucky, and that ends up happening for you. But everyone else is just kind of a little bit of distance, a little bit of fairways, a little bit of distance, a little bit of fairways. It's kind of shocking to see that Paul Casey actually lost on fairways gain, despite that being something that he does really well. We see Hatton and Wolf. This might be the area where I go to here, because just fading Dustin Johnson is going to be so incredibly difficult. I don't even really know how you do it, uh, but I'll end up doing it because I'm a sucker. But that's just, uh, it's just really tough to figure out. So I want to take a look at the proximity. So where did the guys kind of crush it from? So if we look at the very top of the leaderboard, where did they crush it from? Beyond 200-yard proximity. Did you gain a bunch from that range? Yeah, well, you ended up near the top of the leaderboard. What about 175 to 200? Oh, you also gained from there? It's great to gain everywhere else. You want to gain everywhere else. But you saw Rom minus, 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 just striking his long iron. So that's why I'm going to put in 175 to 200 and 200 plus as we as it pertains to wing foot and loading in our model. And this can always get adjusted as more information comes out as the week goes along. Uh, I'm going to 
factor in strokes gained around the green, but I'm not going to weight it too heavily uh, just because I don't know how much the rough is going to affect it. But if guys you know, miss a green in regulation, I would like for them to be able to get it up and down. I want that to prove to be a negative for some people too. Like someone like Corey Connors, if I just punch in these stats, he's going to be like the number one player. I know he's not the number one player. So I need to think about what happens to him if things go awry. Uh, and it's usually chipping when it comes down to it. And I'm really going to wait in those long par fours, par four, five, 450 to 500 yards. Some of the toughest holes you're going to find on the PGA tour. I uh, even just over relative par four scoring in general, which we saw really pop up a lot, but this is where you're going to make your bones. If you can play these holes well, you're going to be good. And it kind of all correlates into one another that you're going to see a lot of 175 to 200 approaches for the longer hitters. So maybe you want to even correlate the 175 to 200 with driving distance and maybe fairways gained with proximity from over 200 yards just because their approaches are generally going to be a lot longer when you're talking about your Morikawa's, Stenson, Brendan Todd's, that type of player moving forward. So I think that's pretty good for the moment. Uh, so let's try to weight these. Let's go off the tee just in general. We'll make it 15. We'll make strokes gained approach 20. I'm going to weight that par 4, 15, because I really want to hammer down on that range. So we're going to go with, let's say, 6% for fairways gained. And go fair uh, with a driving distance, sorry, and go fairways gained at a, at 10%. That'll be able to parse it out a little bit more. And we'll put a little bit of weighting here on the 175 and the 200. Uh, so we'll get five of those each. We'll weight around the green and around 10%. What do we got left here? We got 86%. All right, great. Uh, what else can we add in here or potentially make it more? Let's make strokes gained approach worth 25. No, you know what? I'm going to make it 20. I'm going to bump up the two proximity ranges to 10. This is all just circumspect, by the way. This is just me guessing on a lot of this stuff. So I'm actually going to wait up fairways a little bit more and bump up driving distance. I'll go 12 and 8 to have it just a little bit uh, a little bit of weight to the fairways game, but I want to make sure that the driving distance gets included. We're now at 100%. Let's load this in. I'm guessing Dustin Johnson, Byung-Hun Ann, and... Let's see here. Who else is going to do really well with this? Morikawa will do really well. Rom, of course, will do really well, especially if we're just looking at the past three months. So no big shocker here. Dustin Johnson, number one. Morikawa, number two. Rom, Thomas, Hovland, Webb, Fratelli, Jason Kokrak, Emiliano Grillo, Scotty Scheffler, Shez Reevy, Daniel Berger, Siwoo Kim, Xander Shoffley, Sergio, Hideki, Tyrrell Hatton, Rose, Luke List, uh, English, Matthew Wolf, Corey Connors, Bubba Watson, Finau, Matias Schwab pops up here too. But let's take a look at this range, uh, the 450 to 500. Who plays these holes the best and do they have similar skills? It's like Brant Snedeker plays these holes really well, probably because he puts well on them because he's 99th overall when you consider all of the other factors that we've put into this. So uh, maybe he can get the putter going again with this, but Tom Lewis is another one who strikes up pretty highly. Zach Johnson uh, plays these holes really well and he's someone who's played well at u.s opens maybe we'll have to take a look at zach johnson not as an outright winner but maybe i'm guessing that his price point probably comes in in like the six thousand dollar range so maybe he's someone to look at we just saw munoz pop uh, at the bmw and the tour championship so i can kind of get behind him hatton is someone hatton has the best best proximity since the restart from 175 to 200 and he's 27th from beyond 200 uh, that is really encouraging to see when you see tyrell hatton i think he's going to end up being one of my picks and Hopefully he can make a few putts because when we look at Hatton, uh, that was his problem at the bit, not at the BMW, at the uh, PGA Championship. Uh, guy couldn't make a putt to save his life. Uh, 
ball striking in two rounds, gained over five strokes in ball striking, gained exactly five strokes ball striking in two rounds, and then lost almost four on the greens and two around them. And that's not usually kind of his game. He either gains a ton or he loses a ton. That If this is a week where he wants to make some putts, you might say that he doesn't have the temperament to win a U.S. Open, but guy's a grinder. I like I like Tyrrell Hatton a lot. He's sort of like new school Brennan Grace to me, that I think that he can really compete in one of these tournaments. Uh, but just for overall, if we try to find out, because we'll put them next to each other, uh, driving distance versus fairways, um, the best guy is going to be Rom in terms of distance and fairways since the restart. Xander is up there too. I need my guy, I need my guy Scheffler to pop up higher. Uh, I don't know if he has like the gusto to come and win this, but he's 10th in the modeling. Not great proximity from beyond 200 yards, but fortunately, he doesn't hit a lot of shots from beyond 200 yards. Uh, because of his plus distance, you can see that he's 19th in distance and 12th in just strokes gained off the tee. The majority of his approaches on these longer par fours are going to be coming from the 175 to 200 range where he's inside the top 20. So that's really encouraging to see. Uh, if we just take a look at the guys from that range, Hatton, Grio, and see Grio is a very short player off the tee, so good thing that he's just great with his approaches anyway. I don't know if you really want to rely on Emiliano Grio trying to save you with five-foot par putts. Uh, that's not going to turn out well. Uh, si Wu is another one who's up there in terms of that proximity. Kokrak, Moore, Rose still doing well from that range. Uh, I can I always have a soft spot in my heart for Justin Rose, although he went back overseas, was playing Wentworth uh, with a few pals. Didn't even work MasterCard into his tweet either. That, that'll really shake Jeff Feinberg when it comes down to it. Neiman, well, Leishman, at least he's good from this range, bad at everything else, but still good from this range. You got your Naj, your Rory's. Hideki, I think, is somewhat interesting. You'll see Scheffler pop back up there. Answer and Duffner and Horschel, three guys that all hit a ton of fairways and are good from this range. They don't have the distance, but they're still okay from beyond. Horschel's not, but Answer's long irons and Duffner's long irons, both really good. Answer is just someone who I, I think is a grinder. He could do really well. Uh, you can see that Justin Ray pointed out that the long irons for the long iron proximity for Xander Shoffley has not been good 123rd in this field from beyond 200 yards hopefully he can get that together now he's 10th in driving distance and he's still top 25 from the other key proximity range so hopefully the majority of his strokes do come from there but that's starting to worry me a little bit 123rd you know you, you put either him with a wood or him with a long iron in his hands and he's just completely off base and if you're not hitting greens in regulation or even keeping it in the fairway on some of these longer par fives from that range like you're just in a world of trouble uh Justin did point out that he's gained the most strokes putting at the U.S. Open. Maybe there's something about the style of USGA greens that really meshes well with Xander. It's not like, hey, Xander's 123rd there. He's a fade. That's not what I'm saying. But I'd say it gives me a little bit of pause to keep him away from maybe the truly elites that are in this field as well. Uh, just kind of go back to the 450 to 500 range. Uh, Webb is kind of looking really good for me. He's just so solid overall, and he's hitting so many fairways. Like, that was the one thing that kind of plagued him before he became the Webb Simpson that we know. And it kind of worries me that he was bad at the Tour Championship, although he kind of surged up the leaderboard on the weekend. Uh, if you looked at it round by round, it's not like Webb to... Webb lost strokes on around both on around the greens and on the greens at a short Bermuda course. Like, that, that doesn't happen to him, which is kind of crazy. And his... Off the tee was bad the first two days, got good the last two days. So maybe he just worked off the rust a little bit. On paper, this really is not a Webb Simpson course, but he too is a U.S. Open champion. Uh, he did not fare well off the tee or with approach at the PGA Championship. But at the same time, if you can keep that accuracy up, he's the maybe he ends up becoming like the proto Jim Furyk when it comes down to it. That he's someone that 
you can just continue to smack a long irons well into his career, just hit a bunch of fairways. And we know how good of a putter he is that he can gain 10 strokes putting in one tournament. Fitzpatrick esque when it comes down to it. Another guy has played really well at us open. So that I think is where I'm going to look at. I'm going to take off the stat modeling now and just kind of give a quick look to some of the course conditions that we had talked about, uh, just to see who plays well at those. And we'll go, not even go, we'll go to all records for these. Because uh, there's been so few courses that have played with, and we'll trim it down to just past 24 rounds overall, because I think some of this data is going to draw back from like 2012 or something like that, because so few. So scoring relative to par, it's going to be difficult at this course. We can put that in. And the greens are going to be POA, so we're going to end up clicking on POA as well. Uh, once this loads, make sure that gets loaded in. Click on POA let that load up. Uh, I don't have a lean on whether the greens are going to be firm or not. All rumors are that they're going to be incredibly firm, but I'll leave that one off for right now. Uh, I'm going to go with average and difficult to hit fairways. It's trending towards difficult, but we'll throw an average just to give us more of a sample size on some of these courses. And we know the rough length is going to be long. As you can see, we're down to only 35 tournaments to draw from. Uh, so it's maybe we even better off looking at the past 12. So just long, rough. Uh, and we'll do it from there. I, I don't want to put it in par 70 or the length of the courses. Uh, just now we're, we just whittle ourselves down too much. Uh, maybe we can, though. Let's see. Par say There's only 11 par 70s on here. Um, let's try to find that's going to factor everything else in. So let's just kind of go with it from here. Strokes gain total on courses like this. Day, Dustin, Snedeker, Stenson, Rose, Hideki, Webb, Shez, Reevy. Adam Scott, Matt Wallace, who had been trending before he just kind of went away, although he's only played six rounds on courses like this. I'm going to guess it is Beth Page and Shinnecock Hills. Yes, that is exactly what it is. Played really well at the PGA Championship that year, too. Uh, and like Xander's up there, Lowry's up there, Aaron Wise in seven rounds has actually played this quite well. Because uh, sometimes when you play a course, the it goes round by round as it gets adjusted. So not everything is going to be equal, even if it's all the same turn. And Adam Scott probably going to end up being one of my leans. I like just the form that he's starting to show a little bit coming back. So that's just strokes gain total. That factors in putting. Let's take that out and look at T to green. Bub, Bub Rub is going to be super high up on that list. DJ Kokrak, Casey, and Adam Scott, along with Woodland, Matsuyama, Webb Simpson, Brooks, who is WD, Justin Rose, Justin Thomas, Jason Day. So you're seeing kind of a similar trend of name. Charles has been really good of here. EVR, Grio, and Cantley. Matt Wallace pops up again in the tee to green factor. We just look at ball striking and just take off the tee and approach and put those into perspective. It's Bubba, it's DJ, Kokrak, Woodland, and Casey once again. All guys that, I mean, DJ's not a terrible putter by any means, but those the rest of those guys, not so hot on the greens. 127th, 93rd, 111, 111, 116th. So yeah, not, not the greatest putters going. Stenson tends to putt well with these sorts of courses, which kind of absolutely blows my mind because he's sort of hot or sort of cold when it comes down to it. But this gives you a longer-term perspective on someone like Cantlay, uh, and Ricky or two that kind of pop up. Justin Thomas, you know, he's going to strike the ball well elsewhere. It's, it might be helpful to look at like who's bad on courses like this that we've seen. So you have Horsefield, he gets stats now, uh, but he's just a completely different player. Bryson has been bad ball striking on courses of this kind of difficulty. Fast Eddie Pepperell, he's another one. G Mac uh, is another one who tends to do it more by 
uh, around the green and putting just like Mac Hughes does. Kisner's been bad. Siwoo's been bad. And again, this is not a reason to go fade these types of guys. You see these samples are super small. Like, all right, Weisberger is someone that you think about who can play well, kind of grind out tough tournaments. He has two weighted rounds that we're looking at here. That's in- significantly insignificant uh, when you're thinking about stats as a whole. Neiman is someone who's you know just played the BMW really well. They don't necessarily fit all within these parameters. He only has three rounds of weighted data from it. So you, know, you can hit or miss when you kind of look at this stuff. It's probably better off to isolate one of these stats, like scoring difficult relative to par. Even if we just take POA out of the mix, is that will factor that will give us a bit more of a wider sample to think about if we take green type out of it. And then we can see if other players pop up a little bit more because uh, everyone will have almost, except for Scott Hend, uh, will have almost a full 24 rounds dating back. Then you'll see guys like Morikawa and Charlie Hoffman start to pop up a little bit. Matt Wallace goes up even farther. Matthew Fitzpatrick, John Rahm would be the best player overall. And we will get T to green. It's Hideki who is the best on this style, of course. Duffner pops up all of a sudden. Hey, there's Terrell Hatton in 24. Four rounds if we took green type out of it Colin Morikawa all of a sudden is inside the top 10 of T to green so I think if you play around with the tools a little bit this way you can kind of parse out who you like my guy Scheffler I, I was basically just gearing it so I could find Scheffler at the top so I can go bet him he's 60 to 1 right now I'm going to find a better number than that, but I would bet that at 60. That might have to be one of my early leans going into it. Uh, the problem is, I, I guess it's twofold. If I go look at it right now and it's still 60 to 1, we're going to see a huge jump in these odds on Monday because that always happens. And then the each way gets extended for me, at least in Canada, where I can play, that the each way top five will go to each way like top eight or top nine because it's a major. And that's more of a bet that I would want to take. But I do like Scheffler. Liking Morikawa again for this. I. It's just it's so hard to think with the way that DJ is playing right now that he's going to blow this. But like, DJ's the king of blowing majors, so maybe it's kind of to our it, it's to our benefit potentially that DJ is such an overwhelming favorite here that if we don't think that he can close out a U.S. Open, which he's done in the past at a corollary course at Oakmont, nonetheless. But we've just seen him melt down late in majors. That if he does it again, it does open up a lot more value down the board because everyone is so afraid of him winning. Uh, Molinari is not going to play, by the way, so I guess we have to get him out of the system too. He's just in the betting. When the DraftKings stuff updates, they're going to have like the official field that's in it. We're just kind of grasping at straws right now because they, they've released it, but they haven't put it in the right format. And we're still, I'm recording this way outside of everything. But that's my first look for the U.S. Open. I hope this was helpful for you. I'm just kind of working through all my thoughts in real time. So if I'm contradicting myself at some points, that's just going to happen uh, just because I see this information. Then I look at other information. But hopefully you can become a member at FantasyNational.com. Go to FantasyNational.com slash Mayo uh, to get yourself not only a discount on everything, but you want to become a member of the club and put these tools to good use. And this doesn't even count in the lineup generator or the tournament simulator or the ownership projections. That actually comes a lot with it. I'm just talking about the research that you can do for these tournaments and i'm just trying to show you the different ways that you can put it to good use uh, if you just do want to isolate everything whether you just wanted difficult relative to par and take off all of the other filters and you wanted long rough uh, you can just kind of punch that into your you just you click on one of these you click on difficult you add it into your mixed condition model uh, and then you take off that filter put on a new one add that into your mixed condition model if you just want to see who plays the best in these overall conditions independently instead of just lumping them all together as well that's a really interesting way to go about it but that's going to do it for me i'm going to have more u.s open content obviously coming out subscribe to the mayo media network please leave a five-star review on the pat mayo experience podcast 
audio feed. Tell some friends about FantasyNational.com and the Pat Mayo experience because we have a ton of UFC. We're doing that every week. Football is in full swing, and we're not relenting on the golf coverage. It is going nowhere. I'm super fired up. That'll do it. All right? Everyone be well out there. Have yourselves a good weekend. Rick, Rick, Ben, and I are going to have a DraftKings breakdown, like I mentioned. Jeff is going to be on the betting show. I'm going to be doing a live chat. It's going to be a lot of fun. Hope to see you there as well. Smash the like on the way out. I'm Pat Mayo. I'll see you next time. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.